If you would, stand with me. We're going to read Matthew 28 this morning. We'll be reading the entirety of the chapters. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like a dead man. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them there and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people, His disciples came by night and stole him away while they were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be seated. You know, as we were singing this morning, I was drawn to those words in the song, I love to tell the story. I'd like to ask you this morning as we begin, and I don't need a verbal response, but you can answer this in the interior. Do you love to tell this story? I think it's an important question to be settled. Do you love to tell the story? We have a story to tell to the nations, right? That's also another hymn. As we'll see this morning from the word in this sixth and final building block that we'll be talking about today. This sixth one really is is predicated, it's it's sort of uh, the result of the other five, but it's connected, as we'll come to see, to the other five in a great way. In fact, the other five, if, if they're not happening in our lives... The sixth one is, apart from God's divine intervention, impossible. I love to tell the story. I want you to think about that. Ask yourself if you really do love to tell this story. What seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet... I love to tell the story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's holy word. Do we love to tell the story? Or is it a song that we just sing? Let's pray. Father, this morning as we open your word, I do pray for this church here at Hope in Christ that our hope would be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I pray that we would not trust in our own frame, but that we would wholly lean on Jesus' name. That we would stand firm on Christ, our solid rock. Thank you, Lord, for saving us, for redeeming us, Lord, remind us today as we have your word open. 
remind us that you've redeemed us and saved us for a purpose. You've redeemed us with a mission in mind for our days here. May we not be stagnant. May we not be content with status quo living. Lukewarmness. Apathy. Half-heartedness. Lord, I pray instead that you would stir within us, cause us to be the witnesses to Jesus that you've called us to be. Move us, remind us each day of what it is to go and make disciples of the nations. Father, I pray that we would be useful to you, our master, in these days ahead. Do what you need to do in us to see that we are going, to see that we are being the witnesses you've called us to be. And we look forward to what you'll do in these days ahead as we surrender ourselves to you in that way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin our time here this morning by just asking a series of questions. I think these are uh, helpful questions for us to sort through and think through. And really, in many ways, these questions serve as a a platform upon which we're building this morning uh, this sixth building block. Many of these are connected questions. The first one, do you believe that Jesus is God's only begotten Son? Do you believe that Jesus is God, having come to earth in the flesh, tabernacled among men for a time? Do you believe that Jesus is God's Son? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Third question, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And was raised the third day. I'm asking you some core questions of the gospel. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back a second time? This time to judge the world by a standard. The Bible says the standard is righteousness. Do you believe he's coming back? Do you believe Jesus left his followers ample instructions for how they should be spending their days? If you have your Bible with you, hopefully that answers your question. He has revealed himself to us through his word, has he not? Given us instructions, given us light for our feet. Lamp for our path, right? He's given that to us. Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that the word of God is sufficient? Do you believe that Jesus has fully equipped you? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Do you believe that Jesus has fully equipped you to accomplish his purpose and mission in the time that he's given you here? If you don't believe that he's fully equipped you, you're going to spend your days doubting. You're going to spend your days wandering, floundering, bickering perhaps over what God hasn't given you. Here's a question. Knowing what you know about Jesus, 
How has that affected and transformed your living? Knowing what you know about Jesus, as you sit here today, how has that transformed and affected your living? Closely coupled to that, think about your time for just a moment as a Christ follower. I realize that for some in here, that length of time as a Christ follower is a lot larger window. Some of you, it's a very small window to this point. And some of you haven't gotten there yet. But you know what? For those of you who are not yet a Christ follower, it's my hope and prayer that you will become a fisher of men. And my hope is that this message might be an encouragement to you as well. But consider your time as a Christ follower. In the span of time being in Christ, how many lives have been changed and transformed as a result of intersecting with your life? How many lives have been changed and transformed? I understand you don't transform them. I get that, and I think we know that. God ultimately does that, doesn't he? But it's your life intersecting with someone else's life whereby the word of God goes forth and the seed is planted and the seed takes root in the heart of that person and there's a life that changes. How many lives both inside your home, I'm not discounting the lives inside your home, How many lives inside your home and outside your home have been changed as a result of your intentional witnessing efforts to share Jesus with them? Are you making your days count for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ? Remember in 1 John, it says that Jesus laid down his life for us. What then is our response? What's it say? You remember what it says? We then ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What evidence is there that you are sacrificing, laying down your life to see that Jesus is communicated and lived out for all to see? Would your life... Up to this point, final question. Would your life up to this point be most characterized by staying close to shore or going out to sea? Staying put or going out? What would most characterize your life up to this point? Playing it safe? Taking any risks for the Lord? Well, we've been in this building block series since January 1. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to connect the dots of where we've been, see that where we've been is actually taking us somewhere today, and then give, at the end, give three passages of Scripture that I think will help point us in the direction of going and being a witness to Jesus. If you've been here over the last several weeks, you know that our theme verses, we've been coming back to time and again. The first of which is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 and 11. And it says, according to the grace of God, which is given to me, that's Paul... As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid. What's the the foundation that's already laid? Anybody know? Jesus Christ. You, You don't have to be ashamed to say his name. It's okay. Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. No other foundation. That verse coupled with Ephesians chapter 2, 19 and 20. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Now therefore, 
You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself, don't, don't, don't miss this, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's what we're built on. That's what the family of God is built upon. So apart from message number one in this series, we are building on sinking sand. You remember message number one? No, of course you don't, because it's been over a month ago. I'll give you a scripture. Actually, the scripture was used this morning in the Lord's Supper. John 3.16, right? That's message number one. That's where we began. John 3.16 points us to the Son of God. Remember that look to the Son and live, the Old Testament picture of the bronze serpent? It's a parallel to look to the Son and live. In John 3.16, we see God's amazing love. We see His sacrificial giving of His only Son. And we see His ultimate authority. Elsewhere we see that it's God who gives us the right to become children of God. Right? He has given us the right to become. We are, in the text, responsible to believe and receive. John 1.12 uses those two words. We're called to believe and receive. Believing in Him, we shall inherit everlasting life. Choosing to reject Him, choosing to forsake Him, the Bible says that we shall perish. Life and death are at stake. Everlasting life with Jesus... Hope of heaven versus eternal torment, forever separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. Listen, it's difficult to be a witness to Jesus apart from having a relationship with God through Jesus, is it not? How in the world... Are we to be a witness to Jesus if we ourselves don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Fundamental to what we're talking about today in terms of going, in terms of being a witness to Jesus, we've got to go back to message one. It's a reminder. We're building on sinking sand if we have not a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In week number two, we talked about this place of prayer that God has made available to those following Jesus. We talked about it was a place of privilege, right? A place of access, a place of humility, a place of intimacy, where we have this relationship. We had the table and the chairs up here, remember? This conversation that's intended to be an ongoing conversation in our lives. This place of prayer is a place of need, It's a place of battle and a place of power. That's going to be very significant as we talk about what we're talking about today. Hebrews 4.16, we looked at that passage and it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Having that ultimate conversation around the table. It's in relationship with God where we take our cares and our needs and our praises to Him. We need to remember that there's nothing too small to take to Him, nor is there anything too big for this God that we serve. His door is always open. You know, I can remember back in the day, my days playing in high school, and I remember one of the things that Coach always told me. Coach always told me, he said, Hey guys, um, anytime you need to talk, my door's open. Do you know we have a Heavenly Father who's, who's always open and available to hear from us? He invites us to come often in all ways. Come. Cast your cares upon Him. He cares for you. The door is open. The way has been made possible. Right? The torn curtain. Christ died. Access available. He's always available. See, it's what we do when we have a relationship with someone. We come to them. 
We talk with them. We freely share with them about what's happening in our lives. Do you share what's going on in your life with the Lord? Do you make Him known what's going on in your life, what you're struggling with, what you're having a hard time with, what you're... Oh, I'm going to say this. This is hard for us. What we actually are sinning in our lives, if there's sin that's taking place in our lives, are we taking that to the Lord? Are we repenting of that sin? Are we having conversation with Him? Are we coming to the place of prayer regularly? Are we allowing God, let's not be fooled for a moment to think He doesn't already know what our heart looks like and what it is, but are we willingly coming before Him in this conversation Letting him know what's going on on the inside. Are we holding back anything in this conversation with the Lord? You see, being a witness to Jesus requires coming early and often to this place of prayer. Remember that the place of prayer is a place where battle is going on. And remember, too, that coming to the place of prayer is where His power is manifested. Time and again, when you read the pages of Scripture, the power of God, when God's people pray, the power of God is then evidenced. God tends to pour out His power when His people seek Him, when they humble themselves, when they pray. And as you consider being a witness to Jesus, telling others about this Savior who's made a difference in your life. Friends, I, I need to just insert here in that sentence. Has he made a difference in your life? Because you see, if he's not made a difference in your life, you're probably not going to tend to share him with someone else. If he's not made any difference in your life. When we understand this is good news, when we understand that we love to tell the story, and we know the story, we can't help to share it with other people. Do you think there's any need for his power to show up in the midst of your witnessing efforts? Anybody think power is needed? I do. Because what are we praying about when we are praying for someone who's lost? We're praying that God would just transform their hearts. We need his power to see that happen. We can't do that. So it's imperative that we go to the place of prayer. On behalf of our friends, co-workers, neighbors, family members who don't know the Lord. He's the one that brings about the transformed heart. He's the one that brings about a renewed mind. God's power at work changes everything. We must pray and we must keep on praying. The Bible calls us to keep on praying, to be diligent, to continue in it, to be devoted to it, to pray without ceasing. And we must do these things if we are to have an effective witness for our Lord. In week number three, we learned that it, what it is to be equipped by God. Equipped by God. We looked in Ephesians chapter four. And we learned that being fully equipped by God, when you become a child of God, he, he gave you his promised Holy Spirit to take up residence in you. That's one of the ways he fully equipped you. Praise God. He fully equipped you with his Holy Spirit. What, what else did he do? Well, he's revealed to us and given to us his word of truth to teach us, to direct us in the way that we ought to go. But he's also placed us in a family. Look around the room for just a moment. Go ahead, you can do that. Look at all these folks in the chairs. This is the family that he's placed you in, in this body of Christ. He's given to you other brothers and sisters to love you, encourage you, support you. Laugh when you're laughing. Mourn when you're mourning. 
coming together, exhorting one another, and even more so as the day approaches, loving one another, serving one another, all these one another's. He's placed you in the family of God. How else has he fully equipped you? He's given to you unlimited access to that throne of grace. And one other way he's fully equipped you is that he's given to you this hope of eternal life and the promise of being with Jesus in heaven. Isn't it a great hope? Hope in Christ. Hope in Christ. That ought not be something we forget, friends. Hope, our hope in Christ. We live here in this world, but we ought to have an eternal perspective. Think much about Jesus God has equipped his children with the full armor, Ephesians 6, and with the spirit of truth. 2 Peter 1, 3 says that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. So in other words, listen to this, this is important. We have what we need to be effective witnesses to Jesus. I'll say that again. We have what we need To be effective witnesses to Jesus. So let me ask the question. Why then the lack of effective witnesses in the church today? If God has fully equipped his children to carry out his will, what's keeping his church from growing and flourishing? I'm not just talking numbers. I'm talking about depth too. I'm talking about maturity Why aren't the churches today across the board blowing the lid off of the text? It says in Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added how often? Daily. Daily. Not on Sundays. Daily. And you might say, yeah, they were meeting in homes. Yeah, they were meeting in homes. Do you think it had anything to do with it? I do. Do you think that their love for one another had anything to do with it? I do. Do you think their prayer life had anything to do with it? I do. He has fully equipped us to be witnesses to Jesus. We're not lacking in anything. He's given to us all that we need. As I think about these things... I come to understand that being fully equipped by God, you ready for this? Places you and me now in Christ in a position of responsibility. Fully equipped saints are to be about the work of ministry. Ephesians 4 tells us that. Fully equipped saints are to be about edifying or building up the body of Christ. Fully equipped saints are to be witnesses to Jesus all their days. So what's the problem? Where has the church come up short here? And why is there so little witnessing to Jesus when we've been fully equipped by God himself for this work? Hold on to that. I want to go to week number four. In week number four, we saw that our role is that of a servant. We looked at Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Like Jesus, we are equipped to serve others, not to be served. We're the ones who take up the towel, remember? We're the ones who look for ways to minister. We lead lead not like the Gentiles, lording it over, exercising it over others, but we lead coming alongside of, we lead coming under, serving with this spirit of humility. Just like our Lord. You know, back in the day, I was reminded, I, I don't know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's episodes of watching um, Andy Griffith from time to time. I don't know. Pull into the gas station and full service. I was reminded of full service and self-service. I know when I was younger, I remember actually pulling up and there actually being full service and self-service. And someone would come out from the station and actually take care of pumping the gas for you. Someone would come out and wash the windshield maybe for you. Someone maybe come out and check the the pressure in your tires, make sure everything was okay. But you know, what was interesting to me about the full service is not so much the work that they did. 
I think a large part of the full service aspect of pulling into the gas station is the relationship that was going on. The relationship. They knew you. You got to know them. Not self-service. You know, as I was thinking about this, being a witness to Jesus requires having the heart of a servant. You know, it's one of the reasons why there's so many, think about it, one of the reasons why there's still so many lost people around us today is that we have opted to self-serve. We've opted to self-serve. Instead of being full-service attendants to those around us, we've operated with a self-service mentality, only taking care of our needs, rarely opening our eyes to see the needs of those next door, those down the road, those in the next office down. How will we ever go and make disciples of the nations if we have a self-service heart, friends? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, didn't he? The Bible says that. He came for those who were sick, not those who thought themselves already righteous. Here's the problem. We don't want a whole lot to do with those who are sick. We don't think enough about the lost, let alone seek them out. Jesus came to earth to seek and to save the lost. Through his children who have been fully equipped, he's called us to go and be witnesses to Jesus. He's called us to serve them wholeheartedly, taking up the towel. We won't ever be a witnessing church until we gain a heart to serve others as Christ served those around him. In week five, last week, we were taught that we must love God and love one another. Remember that? That's a little more recent. Maybe you remember that one. Love God, love one another. We're to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. I consider for a moment the impact of such love toward God and one another. How might that kind of love impact our witnessing efforts? Serving others through love, right? Paul says in Galatians. Praying for others with love in our hearts toward them. Desiring for others to know Jesus and experience what it is to have a vibrant, growing relationship with him. Loving others enough to come alongside and equip them for the journey ahead. We spoke last week of one avenue for this love to shine forth, and that was in your home. Each family has a household ministry where the love of Christ can make a difference Loving others in the context of hospitality. A home that welcomes other brothers and sisters, but a home that is just as welcoming with guests and strangers, with those who are not part of this church family inside the walls of this building. We are right now in the month of February in the month of love, according to the world, aren't we? And yet love is, is nowhere exclusively reserved in the Bible for one day on the calendar, is it? Huh? Just love on this one day of the year and everything's going to be just fine. Uh, we don't see that anywhere in here. We're called to love one another as part of who we are in Christ. A follower of Jesus is one who exhibits love. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So what happens to our witness when love is absent? Someone comes in the door. Someone takes part in the service. And they leave. And they don't experience any love given. What happens when love is absent? Hard to share Jesus with someone when you lack love toward them. 
I wanted to take the time to go through the previous five weeks because I wanted to show you how each of them are connected. I also wanted to emphasize how significant they are to this final building block. We're talking about going. We're talking about being a witness. If the church is called to be witnesses to Jesus and we are absent a relationship with Jesus ourselves, and we are apathetic about coming to the place of prayer on behalf of others, if we don't realize that we've been fully equipped by God, if we have no desire to take up the towel and serve others, if we have not love, the church will then continue to barely tread water. The church will continue to show little signs of life, experience little of God's power. See, when these building blocks are missing in Christ's church, much of Christ is missing as well. I want you to see the connection. And an absence of these six building blocks is an indicator that the church is building on another foundation. Can I remind you, there is no other foundation that can be laid other than that which is laid, Jesus Christ. The pattern of the scriptures is that when his people walk in obedience to the truths of his commandments, his statutes, his precepts, his testimonies, what's he do? He pours out his blessing in favor. Amen? That's what he does. That's the pattern. When his people choose to forsake his ways, rebel against his truths, he hands them over oftentimes to surrounding enemies, doesn't he? Blessing on one hand, curses on the other. Favor when obedience is present, captivity and punishment where a heart of disobedience is present. This isn't real hard, (laughs) it's pretty simple. But it's the pattern of Scripture, isn't it? We see it time and time and time again in the people of God. We must have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We must be praying, asking, seeking, and knocking on a regular basis. We must understand and act on what it is to be fully equipped by God. We must serve one another and not always look to be served. We must love God and love one another. And remember that love never fails. It bears no record of wrongs. This series has been building toward this last message. It's been building upward and outward. It's a message I've looked forward to. It's a message that's convicted me in a great way. For far too long, I believe the church has been satisfied with treading water. Treading water. You know, after a while of treading water, it it gets tiring, doesn't it? If you've treaded water and you know what that is, you do it for very long and your arms are going to start to hurt. And if there's no one else out there with you, pretty soon, after a while, you're going to go under. All the more reason it's important to have people with you. We don't do this alone. You know, when you see someone in the water and they show signs of not being able to swim, let me ask, Do you stand there and watch them drown? Or do you throw them a line to rescue them? Are you inclined to stay on the shore and simply try to talk to them about what they need to do? Or are you quick to just jump in the water yourself and remove them from harm's way? Listen. There are floundering souls all around us. If we took the time, I'm sure each of us could list a handful or more of people who are lost and and need the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's not that we don't know who these people are. It's that we, in large part, haven't genuinely cared about them Until now. We're going to in this place. In these days ahead. 
in the rest of, let's say, 2017. We'll define that. We're going to raise up an awareness in this place for the lost souls that are around us. We're going to pray for them. We're going to give testimony of what the Lord is doing and our relationships with them. We're going to make invites to have these people into our homes. We're going to connect with these people. We're going to show love to them. We're going to shine the light of Christ their way. We're going to help them see the joy that comes when one has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're going to be present in their lives. Each week in the months remaining in 2017... We're going to speak of what the Lord is doing in this body as it pertains to the lost souls around us. In our homes, at the office, in our extended families, in our neighborhood, wherever it may be. We're going to bring these people before the Father who loves them. And we're going to ask God to transform their hearts and renew their minds. And we're going to ask God how he might use us in this process. We're going to get engaged in this. Saving work is ultimately God's work. The Holy Spirit convicts and brings one to a saving knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. But God uses his people to get his word out. Amen? He uses his people to get his word out. This is where you and me come into play. We are the vessels that he can use to get his word, to put his word into play in the lives of people who need to hear because faith comes by what? comes by hearing. Hearing what? Any old words? The word of God. Who's going to give them the word? You and me. And we're going to watch and see what God does with that word. He's the one who makes that word grow. We water, we plant. God brings the increase. Amen? That's what God does. We're going to be intentional about getting God's word out to those who need to hear it. We're going to pray each Sunday with an awareness of lost souls. We're going to gather together with anticipation, looking forward to the testimonies that get shared as one more person is placed within the family of God. You know, those two Sundays at the end of December where we, had, uh, we weren't able to meet together, uh, there was a church that we went to that uh, really, this, this struck me, this whole, this whole concept, this really just planted in me as I heard what they, and, and recognized what this church was doing. And it was so simple, yet it was so profound. Here they are at the end of December, and the pastor, I don't even remember the number, but the pastor, they came up with, this is like 400 and some people over this last year. And essentially, it's, it's the church talking about, sharing testimony about what God's doing in their life and how many other folks are being saved as a result of the witness and impact of this one church. This one church. Some 400 plus people have been touched, impacted, transformed through the lives of those church people in that one building. And that really struck me. It struck me because of this, church. We ought to be about this work. Not, it's not an option. There are a lot of things in God's word that he's commanded us, he's called us to. And he's called us and fully equipped us to this work. And for us to thumb our nose at it, forsake it, and turn the other way and say, no, thank you. I like what we've got right here. I like it like it is. We're rejecting what he's called us to. He's also called us to seek and save, to look for people, to look for others who need to hear this. Where the Lord adds to his church here at Hope in Christ... That's not even the emphasis. I want to be real clear about this. That's not even the emphasis. We need to be about the Lord adding to his church, period. And whether, whether he, wherever he has given us a reach in society, we need to be about stewarding it for his glory and honor. And if the fruit of that increase is here in this building as a part of this assembly on a Sunday morning, so be it. Praise God. 
But if not, if the fruit of God's increase shows up in the churches down the road, in another town, in another state, then so be it. May the name of the Lord Jesus be praised. Amen? That's what we're to be about. I want to give you three scriptures to put in your memory blanks as you consider what it is to go and be a witness to Jesus in these days ahead. Here's the first one. Mark chapter 1, 17 and 18. Mark 1, 17 and 18. There's a supplemental verse that goes along with this. You can look at it, Luke 5, 10 and 11. But the one I want to read uh, here right now is 17 and 18 of Mark chapter 1. Jesus said to them, to Simon and Andrew. Simon and Andrew were what? Fishermen. He says, follow me and I will make you become, notice that, I will make you become fishers of men. The very next verse says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. I like to couple that with Luke 5 because in Luke 5 we see the words, from now on you will catch men. I will make you become fishers of men. Luke 5 says, you will catch men. Well, that's interesting. How's that so? How does he know? Because you see, if you're following him, he's going to make that happen in you. If you're really following him, there ends one of the principles of this passage. We need to be willing to follow Jesus. We need to be willing to follow Jesus. By and large, we are a people who like to do our own thing. We like to go our own way. We oftentimes have difficulty with the follower role, don't we? If we're real honest, we, we do. We prefer instead to lead, many of us. But what happens when Jesus is calling to go this way and we choose not to follow his lead? What happens when his word instructs us to walk this way and we choose instead to walk this way? We need to be willing to follow Jesus. We need to be willing to take him at his word. I think in that Mark 1 passage, we also see the need to be teachable. We need to be teachable. We need to be teachable. You ever tried to work with someone who doesn't have a heart to learn? Huh? Yeah. If you've been the teacher, how many teachers we got in the room? We got several teachers. And I would imagine that many of you teachers can attest to this. How hard and difficult it is to teach someone who is not teachable. Young people, I know we have several students here. I think this is instructive for you. Do you know that you can be following Jesus but still not have a teachable spirit? You can be following, you can be going in that way. You can go the way, but not have a teachable spirit. You can go with a begrudging spirit, can't you? You can go with a hard heart. You can fool a lot of people. You can have a rebellious spirit. You can want little or nothing to do with the Lord's path of righteousness. Oh, but I'm following, you say. Following Jesus, we need to be ready, we need to be alert, we need to be available, we need to be teachable. Remember, we are the servants, he's our master. He's the one we take our instructions from. His word is our manual. His spirit empowers us to carry out his will. Psalm 119 verse 33 says, teach me, O Lord. Teach me, O Lord. How many of us are asking of God, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And listen to what he says. He goes on. It's almost as like, Lord, if, if, you, if you teach me your statutes, he says, I shall keep it to the end. Do we have that kind of mentality? Lord, teach me your word. And Lord, as you teach me your word, I'm going to keep it all the way to the end of my life. No matter what it might cost me. We need to be changed 
on the inside. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become. You know, when I read these words, it tells me that Jesus is going to bring this about in them as they follow him. God brings the change in the inward parts, doesn't he? But there remains a teachability and a willingness to follow. Anyone here recognize their frailties when the subject of being a witness to Jesus comes up for discussion? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. The power to be a witness to Jesus requires a change on the inside, amen? Change on the inside has to happen, has to occur. The change on the inside has everything to do with a heart change, a renewed mind. The change on the inside has everything to do with the power at work within you. Is the Spirit of Christ working mightily within you? The problem is not God's inability to do the necessary work in you. The problem is that we fail to work out the salvation that's been freely given to us. You see, until the inside change happens, being a witness to Jesus is nothing more than word speak. Look at the disciples of Jesus after the resurrection. Look at the lives of the disciples once the Holy Spirit comes down in Acts 2. Look at their lives. Look at the difference the Holy Spirit makes in their lives. Change happened on the inside. They became teachable like never before, wanting to please Jesus with their lives. They desired to follow in the steps of Jesus, even though it cost them their lives. And we look at Mark 1. One other principle here is we need to think eternal perspective. Think eternal perspective. I will make you become fishers of men. Fishers of men. These guys were called to follow Jesus. They were fishermen by trade, right? They knew what it was to fish, This is how they made their living. But Jesus comes along to their workplace and he calls them to something greater. He calls them to something bigger. He calls them to something eternal. The souls of men. From now on, he says, you will catch men. Follow me. Be teachable. I'm changing you from the inside out. And I'm going to give you an eternal perspective on this life, men. Following Jesus will transform your attention away from things of this world and onto things of eternity. Following Jesus, having a teachable spirit, he wants to show you an eternal perspective. And listen to this, you aren't going to get an eternal perspective from the daily newspaper, from the internet, or your social media outlets. You get washed in his eternal perspective as you spend time with the Lord, opening his word, being led by his spirit, walking in obedience to his truth. Mark 1, 17 and 18. Second passage, 28 of Matthew. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The crux of the passage is go therefore and make disciples, right? But the main ideas in these verses center on making disciples of the nation. But it seems that Jesus is advocating that disciple making is predicated on going. Going, right? Appropriate that Jesus would call his followers here to go because Jesus is about to go. In the context, he's about to go himself. He's about to ascend. He's about to go and to return to his father. But before leaving, he sends them out and he calls them to go. And here's what I love about this passage right here. There's two things about this I want to give you. First of all, we go out under his authority. We go out under his authority. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. We go out under his authority. He's called us to follow him. He's called us to go. But the instruction to go comes as a result of who Jesus is. God has granted all authority to his son. He has all authority. And because he's God's son in control of all things, we can go with great confidence. Amen? We can go with great confidence in this. We can go forward knowing that we have credentials to do so from the king of kings. But second principle here is we go out with his presence. We go out with his presence. The very last part of Matthew 28 says, And lo, I am with you. How long? Always. Always. Even to the very end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
acknowledging him in all of your ways, the promise is he will direct your steps. Abiding in Christ proves yourself to be a disciple of his, a follower of his. We can go and be witnesses to Jesus knowing that he goes with us. He's fully equipped us to carry out his will. And like the people of God in the Old Testament, he serves as the ever-present cloud during the day and the fiery pillar by night. He never sleeps, he never slumbers, and it's a comfort, isn't it? To know that the call to go and make disciples, the call to follow Jesus in this life, it's not a solo mission that he's called us on. He calls us to go, but lo, I am with you always. I am with you always. So we go out under his authority. We go out with his presence. Third and final scripture, and we're done. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me, Jesus says, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We go out with his power. We go out with his power. We must not go out without his power. Wait for the power from on high, end of Luke's gospel says. Really similar in many ways to Acts chapter 1. This power. You shall receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. In other words, no Holy Spirit, no power. With the Spirit, we're intended to go. And we're intended to, you shall be witnesses. So we go out with this power. We are witnesses to Jesus. Listen, that might sound like just a real simple statement. But what I'm, what I'm getting at with that is this. I think so often in our lives, we become witnesses to so many other things besides Jesus. We become witnesses to the latest sports scores. We become witnesses to the latest fads. We become witnesses to what's happening in our country. We become witnesses to, and you name it, just fill in the blank. And all the while, we fail on many occasions to be witnesses, the very thing he's called us to be, to Jesus. Be witnesses to Jesus with the power that he's given to you from the Holy Spirit. And the last thing with this I want to share is that our witness is intended to reach out of the home and into the world. Out of the home, into the world. Out of the home, into the world. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. If you look on a map, Jerusalem, right where they were. Judea and Samaria, a little further out. Into the earth. Do we have that kind of mentality? Do we think end of the earth at all? I think for many of us, we're so stuck in Jerusalem. We're so stuck on our main street. We're, we haven't got out of the street. We haven't gotten into Judea and Samaria. We haven't, we haven't even been thinking about the end of the earth. Go out. Go in my power, he says. Be a witness to Jesus. Stop with all the other witnessing to other things that are frivolous and they're going to burn up like the chaff. And our witness is intended to reach out of the home and into the world. Yes, begin in the home. He's called us to be again in the home. Launch it in the home. If it's not happening in the home, it needs to be happening in the home. Six building blocks. These are six building blocks for any church, by the way. This isn't specific to Hope in Christ Church. But it is specific to Hope in Christ Church. It's something we ought to be about. A relationship. Pray. Understand the role of what it is to be equipped by God and act upon what he's equipped us with. Serving, taking up the towel. Loving one another. And then being willing to go and be a witness to Jesus all of our days. Can we do that? I hope we can. I know we can from what God tells us. I know we can. Will we? That's yet to be seen. I'm going to pray that it'll be so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good word. Thank you for these building blocks. Thank you, Lord, for the truths that are found here in your word, the principles that you've given to us from your word, principles to live by and operate from. Oh, Lord, I pray this church will be a church that considers and thinks much of those who are lost, those who need to be found by you. 
Lord, that it would be on our radar, not just once in a year or a couple times in a year, but Lord, every week we would raise this up, Lord, before you, that this would be very significant because it's significant to you. You came to seek and save these lost people. And I pray, Lord, that with the power that resides within us in the Holy Spirit, Lord, we would be a people that would be willing to go wherever you send us, that we'd be willing to go and be a witness to whomever you send us to, that we would be willing to go and share this message with those inside our home, but Lord, move us outside of our homes to share this good news with others. Open our mouths. Your word promises that you give us a mouth and a wisdom. Help us not to be fearful of what man thinks about us. Help us to fear the Lord our God at all times. And to trust in you. And to trust in your word. To stand upon the promises of God. And I pray this people would be a people who love to tell your story. Teach us, O Lord, the way of your statutes. And I pray that each one here, as we are being taught by you, that we would keep these statutes all the way to the end. Thank you for your good word. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.